For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. <laughs> That's in a, thank you for having me on. I was looking forward to talking to you, and it, it went exactly how I, I thought it went. And uh, you're uh, for anybody who criticizes uh, Kyle in the in the Liberty space, grow a fucking se- a set of balls. Come on, be a man. This is a guy <laughs> you want. This is a guy you want in your movement. All right. If he insults you a little bit, call your mommy. Call somebody who gives a shit, and then get back in the goddamn game. <laughs> I like that one a lot. That may be the clip I clip out there. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much. All right. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a little bit. This gentleman is a uh, content producer in a different way than I am. I got John, who produces JVP Music. He's done tons of intros for tons of people. Um, I think he's a better songwriter than me because I listen to all these intros. I'm like, man, like I, I wish I could do some of this stuff. So anyways, I'll quit yammering. John, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing pretty good. Matt, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. And this is a we, this is a good night. There's a lot of interesting stuff going. We could talk about Twitter drama. If you want, we could talk about Liberty. I'm no philosopher, but I mean, we mm-hmm. can get a little bit into it. If you want to know my history with that, I'm sure we're going to talk about music for quite a bit. Uh, definitely got more than a few band stories if you're interested. So let's let's do it. Yeah, man. So um, I guess let's start with uh, first things first. Um, where or what kind of inspired you to get into libertarianism? And I know we shot the shit a little bit off air about kind of I don't want to say a departure from that, but um, perhaps putting that in a less relevant spot in your life. So um, I guess kind of detail out your journey. We can kind of start there. All right, sure. Well. I, I wouldn't call myself a libertarian anymore. Uh, it's probably two years that I don't call myself a libertarian. Before that, I was a libertarian for 18 years, uh, or mm-hmm. give or take. Uh, what got me into libertarianism, not all the way like most people, but the Ron Paul debates, uh, and just, you know, hearing him in South Carolina or North Carolina, wherever he was at, was like, you know, if heroin was legal, would you, oh, yeah, let me shoot it. At, you know, that's it was hilarious. You've never seen anything like that. And it's like, that's a fair point. <clears throat> and he would talk about Austrian economics and the Austrian business cycle theory. And uh, before that, I was raised uh, Republican. My parents were Republican. They voted Republican all their lives. Not uh, not neocons. They were uh, – I grew up in a big Italian family that uh, we basically – they immigrated down here. It was like literally three or four families immigrated down here together and settled. And we grew up in a family where family was first. So it wasn't – politics wouldn't ruin a dinner. It, there was none of that. It was just you, your family is who you back no matter what. So yeah. I didn't really grow up in 
a cult like some people are growing up in nowadays when it comes to politics. So I was already right-leaning, paid the taxes. I remember getting my first paycheck and actually seeing how many tax, how much taxes come out of it. And I was like, God damn, I, like, that could have been my money. And that, that really just kind of settled me into that right-wing, freedom-loving type uh, space, wherever you want to classify me. Mm-hmm. So that was like the, the backstory. The first internet personality I saw that I really liked was Bill Whittle. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he no. used to do uh, – yeah. He's uh, You may not like everything he says, but uh, he used to produce a series called Afterburn. Uh, he doesn't do it anymore. He has he's still doing it, but like different series. Mm-hmm. But he always made good points about about freedom. And I got into that's when I started getting into the age of the internet personality and talking about politics. Then I saw Ron Paul got me very interested. Didn't convert me right away. And the thing that converted me a hundred percent was Tom Woods mm-hmm. before he got super big. Had a video on YouTube. It's like twelve minutes long, and the title was uh, "How to Explain the Austrian Business Cycle Theory in Ten Minutes." And before that, I was doing a lot of research because that's when the 2008 crash happened. And I was just really interested in how did this how did this occur? And I was already kind of 80% there. And then that explanation of uh, forcing interest rates down and, uh, you know, if you're if to equate it to building a house, if you're building a house with bricks and you don't have enough bricks, do you want to find out at the very end or do you want to find out as soon as possible mm-hmm. so you can change your plans and build a complete house instead of building an incomplete house. And just the way he articulated it really kind of fit all the pieces together economically for me. And the economics of libertarianism, it it hooked me more than anti-war. And I am pretty much anti-war unless you come at me that I'm very (laughs) pro-war. But uh, yeah, the economics hooked me, made a lot of sense, still does, still makes a lot of sense. And that's really what libertarians should stick to. I think that's their strongest uh, selling point. Mm, okay yeah that's all uh really interesting stuff and uh yeah tom has been around forever and a half and um i've always found him to just be like a very very interesting character and um kind of back to a conversation we're having off air um i think that's what a lot of libertarianism is uh lacking and um one thing that people see if they're watching the video is that we have all these guitars and kind of like cultural stuff in our background so like you could see back here i got my metallica poster from when i went and saw them um i want to say it was 2018 or there's no date on there but um, my uh yeah my brother's girlfriend and i had uh drove down to maryland to go see metallica and then um also like tons of uh just different shows that my bands have played over the last few years. And I see all your uh, stuff and different photos from gigs that you played and stuff like that. Um, anyways, it's a long winded way to say that um, there's more that's interesting to someone like Tom Woods, someone like you, someone like me, than just the fact that, Oh, look, we're libertarians. And I think yeah. that's what will ultimately draw more people towards libertarianism is having interesting personalities amongst them that aren't just political figures. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I think we said this off camera, but I, I think that's a lot of libertarians problems is their their whole existence is. Did you read the new Scott Horton book that came out? Did you listen to the new Dave Smith <laughs> podcast? Right. And and I'm not beating you up too much. Mm. Whoever is taking offense to this, if you're listening to it, I used to be there, too. <laughs> but uh, your your time is finite. And it's the most it's the most valued commodity you're going to have in your life. And how much time yeah. do you really want to invest into that as opposed to creating something? Like I'm a cre- I love creating music. I, I'm more of a composer than a guitar player. Uh, I I learn I taught myself how to play guitar because I wanted to compose music. Just to mm-hmm. give you an idea of, of what uh, drives me. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're mu you do much more good for the world if you create. It doesn't have to be media, but just create something, build something, build something mm -hmm. in your own house. It might be hard work, but when you're done, you're gonna be you're gonna be so much more appreciative of just life, and you can appreciate what you build. Or if you if you do do media, do that. But I think creating stuff that can connect with people is much more important than trying to convince somebody uh, of why we need open borders. <laughs> just my. <laughs> My thought. Yeah, and I, I really couldn't agree more, but I think one key to convincing people um, would be the fact that they have some kind of relationship capital with um, you as the individual. So um, if you're an influential person, once again, you know, you see somebody like Phil Abonte of All That Remains. Um, you know, he's a good looking dude who sings for one of the biggest metal bands out there now. And he just has to be a libertarian too. So like people are already bought into him because look, this dude's legit because he wrote, you know, the fall of ideals back in 2005. I mean, any kid who was born in like the nineties, the early two thousands um, and likes heavy music knows that record front to back. Right. So people already are bought in. So it's a lot easier to hear libertarianism from him because you're already like, Hey, well, you know, I like his ideas when it comes to music. So what are his other ideas? But when, you just come as a strictly political person. I just, there's something about that that really turns people off because like this morning, and I don't know if you get these little moods over here and there. Um, I was listening to like some podcasts and stuff and I was walking on the treadmill and I'm like, I gotta like, just shut it off. I gotta listen to music or something. Like th there's just a certain time where you just got to put it down and just focus on something else. Yeah. It's, um, I think people listen to, other people talk, whether it's podcasts or YouTube shows, to try and get some insight or maybe yeah. open their mind up. But at the same time, it is droning. Mm -hmm. It's just, and I know we're talking here, so I'm kind of shooting both of us in the foot right now, but <laughs> uh, we'll get to some fun stuff, I promise. But yeah, it's, it's just people droning on and droning on. And, and I think sometimes people that do that have to put themselves in a position where they have to say something, no matter what it is, just to keep your attention. <clears throat> and, uh, that's when I fall out of something. I'm like, you know, I'd rather hear like a somebody trying to create a piece of art or watch a movie or I don't read as many books as I used to, but, you know, read a book, listen to some music, but listen to like uh, a piece of art where somebody tries to connect with you at, a, at an emotional level instead of a logical level. I think libertarians suck there too. Like they, you know, everything's logical, nothing's emotional. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake. People are emotional and, and uh, you have to control your emotions. You can't let them make you do something stupid. And you should tell people that it's, you know, I have two kids, you'll, you're going to be there soon. And, and that's how you raise your kids. Uh, but you don't want to stifle their emotions and make them a bunch of Mark Zuckerbergs. You want to raise a human. And, and that's, that's an, that's an important thing to connect with people's emotions. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember everybody saying, oh, facts don't care about your feelings. And then Lauren Southern had put out this video saying that feelings don't care about your facts. And both sides really do do this. I shouldn't even say both sides. It's it's a people thing. And I think this is one thing that a lot of people miss, even people who are kind of in this post-libertarian sphere, is that um, there is a demand for ideology and there's a demand – for some kind of emotional, you know, thinking on some level when it comes to anything, and you're not going to pull that out of people. So uh, I know some religious people tend to say that, oh, these people are demonic, but <laughs> it, it, it's really just 
a, a way of boiling down that like this is the human machine like those crazy woke social justice warriors that you see screaming about the wage gap or their specific cause um that would be you in a certain circumstance under a certain belief and, and that that's possible under all yeah. people um it, it kind of goes back to the cliche of the nazis in germany right more than likely all of us would be nazis and that's an uncomfortable thought but that's that's the reason why people want to say oh they're nazis they're demons you're this you're that is because they want to separate themselves from the fact that the human machine does require some sort of driving force and some sort of ideology and it provides you a lot of comfort to say that i would never do that although once again under certain circumstances we all would as much as we want to deny that we would yeah there's a i think there's a lot of truth to that uh, i would i wouldn't say it exactly like that i think you're 90 percent accurate with that mm -hmm. statement i think there are some people that are willing to die for their um their principles oh absolutely yeah um but it's tough, though. Like, again, going back to being a father, as a father, I can't afford to die for my principles because I have to be there to die for my kids if I have to be. Right. So you you can, you know, there was a lot of evil people in the Nazis. Obviously, were there people who were taken advantage of and put in a position where they had to comply? You can't you, you can't say no. So um and and again, I'm not defending the Nazis here. <laughs> uh, again, lots of evil people, and they they all deserve what they got. But um, you don't have to use the example of the Nazis. You can use the example of America today. I, I just use again, uh, use corporate America. So before, uh, I, I hope I'm not peeling the curtain back too much. But before the show started, Kyle's like, "Hey, is there anything that you want to stay away from topic wise?" And I'm like, "You know, I will not. I will personally navigate around any conversation." And uh, there's nothing that I will say that I don't feel that I, I can't defend if, you know, my job came at me, which I got a great job. Love. I love the job. The, look for a company you love working for and, you know, work hard to get there. But, um, yeah, people just need to know how to how to think for themselves and navigate around certain topics. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing that was kind of interesting that you laid out there um, is working for a corporation and some libertarians would say, oh, you should never do this. Um, the, the ACAB, the all cops are bastards kind of line. Um, and I, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't gotten more heat for this when I say this, but like I, I've grown up in small towns all over Southwestern Pennsylvania here. And um, I lived out in Ohio for about a year and a half when I was in college and I know oh, the just doing your job is the same thing that everybody says throughout history is doing bad things. But like a lot of these guys are just good people. And you have to remember they're not libertarians. So um, <laughs> they don't have these same ethical beliefs that we do. Their line of thinking and their grounding in reality is separate than that of people who say, well, the nap says this, the nap says that. And um, my Murray Rothbardian principles say this. Um, they're operating under different pretenses that still generally come to the same conclusions, but once again, they didn't they didn't have the wool pulled off their eyes like most libertarian or libertarian leaning people have. So um, in my experience, most of the small town police seem to be good people. Um, it seems like when you go to big cities, there seems to be a big issue with them. But I just can't stand this idea of just saying, oh, all these people in this spe specific given kind of trade and career are bad because they chose to do with do this one specific thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you want to say you're working for the machine, fine. I bash corporations 
all the time and they deserve to be bashed it's mm -hmm. <laughs> it's there there's something weird <clears throat> i think libertarians have an issue with this too there is something weird about an entity with a government granted protection that will protect individuals from doing bad things if if you're mm -hmm. really if you're really a proponent of personal responsibility that that should clash for you mm -hmm. now that said um that's not every corporation or i've worked for a, a a good number of good companies i worked for some companies that were uh i don't want to say bad but uh, maybe i didn't fit there as as much as i fit in with some other companies that i work with mm -hmm. but they're just a bunch of people trying to make money for their families <clears throat> now uh, I mean, you can definitely admit that HR has brought in um, some really ridiculous standards to make people uh, be corporate outside of their, you know, on their personal time. So it's it's not good enough if you're just professional when you work. Now you got to be corporate in your personal life. And I really hate that. Mm -hmm. People should be able to have a personal life. People should be able to drop an F-bomb. Fucky fuck fuck, right? Yeah. Um, and if it's on the internet, why is that getting filtered back to your job and why are people getting fired for this? I think there, there's a video game company. I forget the name of the company, but a young girl got fired because she followed libs of TikTok. And mm -hmm. I'm not joking. Like that was the offense. So, uh, I mean, companies like that deserve to be shamed into oblivion. Mm -hmm. Um, and the good companies who treat their people good, uh, they should be praised whether they're a corporation or not. It, it all comes down to the people running it and how they treat you. Um, yeah, and well, we're not in the Ancapistan like we'd like to be in, where no. you know you can necessarily separate you know corporatism from a lot of the companies that you work for. Now, I'm beyond blessed that I've worked in the automotive field for ten years, and clearly, you know what you're getting when you open up a you know garage door with a bunch of mechanics working on cars. You're not getting people who are sensitive to this stuff, or at least most of them aren't. <laughs> there are a select few. The select few usually keep the entertainment value up pretty high, um, but. Um, there's that kind of attitude of it's a blue collar job, right? We talked a little bit about that off air as well, but um, you know, I'm lucky in that regards, but some libertarians would want to think that like, Oh, well just don't work for this corporation. Then like, okay, well, and this is kind of the point I was trying to make, but I kind of went off on a little side tangent when it came to the police is that like, we're not in this perfect world. So given that we are in a fallen world and that things aren't perfect, let's make the best of what we can. So, um, given the situation that we have, if you know you're working for a corporation that takes care of you and for the most part shares your values, but may take some money from the government, um, why is that so detrimental? Because that's just the world we live in today. And obviously, we should push for something better, but understand that that change doesn't just happen. Yeah, I have a problem with the phrase "the world we live in today" because the world that I live in is very different from the world you live in. It is very different from the sure. world that most people watching this are living in. So we don't all live in this. Technically, we live on the same world, <laughs> right? But our the culture and the uh, the societies around us and our um, our uh, our support uh, as far as family and friends or that differs among people. Uh, mm -hmm. So we can't really. Uh, we can connect, we should connect with people at an individual level, but at a societal level, we can't just boil this down to this is the world we live in today because it's not. So mm -hmm. we all go through different experiences. And, and even though they're different, you can still connect with somebody who's went through a different experience, regardless of politics. And that's how you should pick your friends. You shouldn't pick your friends about uh, uh, as, as far as 
who they vote for on the ballot box. You pick your friends. Uh, how you pick your friends is you, you look to see who will get your back in a tough situation when people are coming at you. And that's when you know who your friends are, is who will get you back when people are coming at you. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's funny is um, people always say you never talk religion or politics. Um, I couldn't disagree more because I actually find that um, people who are reasonable and like just good people all around who may not agree with me, left or right, really. And, you know, God bless the fact that I live, you know, north of a big city about an hour. Um, I don't experience the crazy leftists, but like even fundamental right wingers and most like the left leaning people who just, you know, think maybe corporations should pay their fair share, quote unquote, and to have universal health care. Um, when I have conversations with these people and we talk politics, I enjoy it a lot. Because, you know, we're trying to grind out our differences and find out where we agree and where we disagree and where, you know, one person's idea may be better than the other. Um, now, once again, where that gets a little bit removed from common discourses when you start calling people names, which everybody's prone to do at a certain point. And, you know, I'm all for some ball busting and making people cry a little bit. But when you're being a sincere asshole to people over yeah. political differences, that's not, you know, it's not the politics anymore. It's the person, right? It's the person that has a legitimate problem with somebody's belief. And I am thankful that a majority of the people that I interact with of either belief have always encouraged, you know, good faith debate uh, and, I'd be down to talk to anybody on this show about um, stuff. You know, I, one of the episodes I just posted this week was um, Carrie Luce Del Rosso, who ran for lieutenant governor under Doug Mastriano, who were both Republicans. And, you know, I don't agree with Republicans on a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to talk to them and that we don't have something in common. So why don't we talk about the stuff that we have in common? And then if we disagree on something, let's figure out what a solution is that works for both of us and what we're willing to give and take and um, you know, kind of see where we both can agree on what's better than what is now. Yeah. And uh, I, that's the, uh, the problem is most people don't talk about politics like that. It's, mm -hmm. this is why I'm right. And this is why you're wrong. And then <laughs> what, what is that going to do to some, that's going to immediately put somebody on the defense. They're not going to listen yeah. to a word you say. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, if, if we can all talk politics like that, that would be good. But uh, again, a lot of people, uh, politics isn't, like a, a big thing for them. So um, they take it personal because they're not in the world of politics and, you know, know what the right currently thinks in the year of 2023 or, or know what the, you know, what the left wants to accomplish currently in the year of 2023. So it's a lot of people can't handle that. I'm, I'm with you. I can talk politics. I can talk religion too. I, I mean, I was raised Catholic, became an atheist, read a book called holy blood holy grail i don't know if you've heard of that but yeah. holy blood holy grail is the um it's a uh, it's not a fiction it's more of a theory book of G like what real life jesus christ would have been like what's up everybody um we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors um we are brought to you by element t electrolytes I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. and let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes. Um, 
there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also it tastes really really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really really good. So uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. Alright guys, thanks. And that was the um inspiration for the da vinci code from dan brown that they turned into the movie with tom hanks uh and uh that book was purposely written to kind of uh defame jesus and kind of break him down from a religious perspective but um it goes into how he could have been a zealot uh which was kind of like the freedom fighters of the jews when the romans were controlling them and um him being called the king of the jews was they actually took that literally like, oh, he was the head of the zealots. He was the head of the resistance against the Romans. And they kind of built this whole theory. And they're not saying it's 100% true. Uh, but the theory was fairly strong based on kind of historical events that happened. So um, reading that, it's like, man, if this was Jesus Christ in real life, like I have mad respect for the dude. This dude was a, a, a genuine badass and a, and a fighter for his people. So even if he's not the son of God, like it made me respect Jesus more. And it almost brought me a little bit closer to religion. Now I don't go to church every, every mm-hmm. Sunday, uh, but you know, do I believe in God? Uh, I hope I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, will I, will I pray every now and then? Sure. Um, so it's, you know, I don't hate it. I'm not against it. I can understand why people, um, uh, enjoy religion yeah well you know what's funny is um our mutual friend uh buck johnson who's just like one of the greatest people out there um one thing i noticed with a lot of people that are orthodox christians now is that they're like all just such great people like all the orthodox christian people that i know are just phenomenal people and i find that as i get older i've always considered myself agnostic and i don't have strong feelings on religion any which way um, I do get annoyed when I see people like debating it viciously just because I don't have that same passion for it. But, you know, maybe that's just their thing. Um, I, I feel a lot more closer to religious people as I get older and especially as I kind of left my early 20s and changed the way that I wanted my life to play out. So obviously you have kids and a wife and a family. Um I desire those things as well. And I see that religious people tend to be more successful in that realm as well. And my wife is more religious than me as in she does for sure believe in God and that's fine. Um, I, I, once again, I'm an agnostic. I don't claim to have knowledge either which way Um, I would say if pressed, I would lean towards, I believe there is, but once again, I don't know, can't prove it either which way. So I, I guess that's probably part of the reason why I think the debate's so silly is because like nobody knows and anybody claiming knowledge is that they're driven by their ideology, which once again is fine, but we don't know. And there's no way of knowing. And in my mind, if um, it was proven either way, then I don't think it's going to look like if we do find out there is a God, then I don't think it's going to look like anything, what people imagine. We just have these ideas and it just so happens that the ideas around religion and kind of like the more, the morality surrounding religion tends to breed successful families and cultures. You're right. Um, And, and sure there are outliers of terrible families. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but, um, and, and, you know, there's, 
terrible people everywhere. So that's that's not the point. But whatever leads to a stronger family unit, I'm all for. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't uh, again, I'm not the most religious person, but I think a lot of people believe in religion uh, because of death. Death is, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people say they're not afraid of death. I don't necessarily buy it 100 percent. Nobody wants to die. I shouldn't necessarily say everybody, but most people don't want to die. They want to live (laughs) as long as they can. And I I think part of that is you develop the spirit over a lifetime and the thought of just oblivion uh, when you pass away is kind of uh, tragic. Like you want to you want to think your spirit lives on in some way or another. Uh, and that does some good for the universe. So, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, that hope. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I get why people really cling to that. And you know, I, I I was never the staunch atheist. My brother went through a phase like that, and I think that's really what kind of drove me away from that. Um, it, it was one thing that kind of popped in my mind when you're bringing up people not being afraid to die is this uh, anti-natalist movement. And I didn't really know the word, like I seen the word anti-natalist thrown around and then um, I Googled it and I recognized that like, oh, I actually see this quite frequently. But I, I got to say the one thing that absolutely disgusts me is people who are anti-children as in saying like making children is like destroying the planet or save the earth don't give birth and there's people my age that say that and there's nothing that infuriates me more like if you say hey i don't want to have kids because i personally feel this is making the world worse but i don't fault other people for doing it fine you know i I can live with that but when you say that other people are immoral for having kids then I don't want to get banned off YouTube, but if those people happen to do a shot of Clorox or something like that, I think the world would be better off because you have no right to tell other people that they can't um, bring other people in the world because you never know what that next child's going to do. And um, I think that is the ultimate meaning in life is having children, having a family and putting out successful, prosperous people into the world. So when people have this antinatalist attitude and tell people not to have children, I, I just, it, there's nothing that just drives me more insane than that because you can always solve that problem one person at a time if you really feel that strongly, but they never do. Yeah, I'll take a little bit of a lighter approach. I completely understand where you're coming from. <laughs> I, I take I take a little bit of a lighter approach now only because, I, again, I'm 39, I'll be, I'll be 40 uh, this year. And uh, when I was younger, I did some really stupid stuff, right? So uh, I always chalk it up to, I think uh, the youth, the, uh, the purpose of being young is to do stupid things because that's yeah. how you learn. That's how you gain wisdom. But if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're never going to get the wisdom you're going to need to uh, be happy and um, and uh, complacent with who you become when you're older. So uh, I, if somebody says something stupid when they're, when they're young now, you know, if they're my age saying that, it's kind of a problem yeah <laughs> but um yeah uh having children you you is sacrifice it's uh it's not about you anymore mm-hmm. but at the same time it, it kind of is about you because that's how you live on after you pass and it, they're a part of you but they're also this completely different person that's their own person that you made you made them and uh people don't appreciate that anymore it's and it's and it's kind of sad there's, there's a lot there's a lot of fulfillment there um, so yeah, I, I mean, to me, if, if, uh, unless somebody really doesn't want children, if you're thinking about it, yeah, pick a good mate and, uh, have kids with them, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll change your life for the better. Yeah. And, and well, you know what, what you just said in that last part right there, um, some people may consider controversial, but, um, you know, I'm very, very blessed and the world 
the dating market in 2022 is very distorted for a great many reasons. And you don't say, yeah, for men in particular, (laughs) it's very, very difficult, especially when you have somebody like Jordan Peterson, who I think puts out a good message, but gives men an incomplete message. And the big problem with Jordan Peterson isn't necessarily him himself, but it's how people perceive him. And they tend to hold him up in this holy grail regards as in he's the pinnacle of all that is right, rather than just saying, this is somebody I can learn from and apply what he said to my life to make it better. And then use other advice to make my life better in other regards, like listen to some of the pick up artists and i'm not saying that you should listen to everything and do everything they say but take a little bit from each camp and realize what's going to be most successful for you but um the the world for men today is a lot different than that of you know 50 60 70 30 years ago even because um you know the way the family courts set up and the way that social media has really affected our perceptions so like um, you know, the amount of attention women can receive today is a lot different than that they could have received, you know, 30 years ago. So they have so much more exposure to different men at all times. And so do men to a certain degree. But, um, you know, the way that women perceive attention is different than the way that men perceive attention. And not only that, let's be honest, how often have women con- gone up to men and asked them out on a date? It's it's not very common. Most of the time it's men going up to women to ask them on a date. But, um, you know, once you get to that point, you should vet your partner for a while um i was with my wife for three four years before we got married so i know her very well um i feel like a lot of people get into this hedonistic culture of hookup culture and look i was a part of it for most of my late teens early 20s Um, i was just lucky to never have an incident where i had you know where i had a kid um because i didn't know any of those people long enough to say um I would want this to be the mother of my child, but I don't think a lot of people consider that when picking a mate anymore is that like, you're never going to have a soulmate. You're going to find somebody that is compatible with you and you can raise a family with successfully. Now what that person looks like as we've kind of laid out throughout different ventures throughout the show, it's going to be very dependent upon you, your culture and those surrounding you. But I think what's missing is typically men and women don't vet their partners well enough and are patient over a long period of time to figure out if that person's the right person for them. They just, you know, go fuck like rabbits and then figure that shit out later. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's a build, Mm -hmm. right? You've got to, if you got to build everything in your life and that Mm -hmm. relationships are no exception to that. Um, and you gotta be forgiving too. Uh, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just be a hard ass on everything. You, you gotta forgive, but you also have to understand that, uh, there should be lines that when crossed, uh, you stand your ground too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough balance because it, it's, it's very easy to get off balance with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, nobody is, uh, everybody's guilty of that, of being off balance at one point, right. even, even when you're at my age, even when you're going to be 60 or 80 and you have mm-hmm. to remember to you know, put yourself in check too. So uh, yeah, be humble and remember that until you're dead, you should be building something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really like the way that you laid that out um, it, because it really is true that you're always kind of building something. So like when I'm resistance training, I'm building my mental and physical state um, throughout the years that I've dated my, you know, girlfriend, fiance, and now wife, um, we were building something together throughout the six years that I've owned this house, um, building something, right? I'm building equity in the home. Um, yeah. there, it's all about putting oh. in reps. So you think you're building equity. 
Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, until, until everything collapses. Uh, That's right. I, I do wish I could have moved down your way because I interviewed at a, a dealer down in um, Tallahassee, which I know is in like the northern part of Florida. But, um, yeah. you know, my God, if I could live down in Florida, I, I think about it. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I almost think about it every single day just because I, I especially this time of year where it's cold and fucking snowy. I just I'm absolutely miserable and I'd love to. When, when my wife and I were on our honeymoon, I remember it was 70, it was 70 or 80 degrees on like Wednesday um, that we were down there. And then the next day it was 50 degrees and everybody was out in winter coats. I'm like, man, I yeah. wish this was <laughs> like, the, I wish I had to bust out a winter coat for this. Like I'll bust out a winter coat when it's like negative 10. <laughs> yeah. I, I live in South, I live in Broward County. So mm-hmm. in South Florida, you have Miami Dade County where Miami is, uh, in case you couldn't put two and two together. <laughs> the county above that is Broward County. That's where I live. And the county above that is West Palm Beach, where God Emperor Trump uh, lives and where Mar-a-Lago is. <laughs> and uh, those three counties we refer to as the Tri-County area. Mm-hmm. And um, West Palm, not so much. But Broward and Miami-Dade are very different from the rest of Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even just because it's a little bit more blue than red. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very different culture. It's very mixed. Uh, and it's, there's a lot of good and bad to it. Uh, there's a lot of you know, good food down here. Uh, there are a lot of good people. There are also a lot of assholes and it, it's very expensive to live down here. Extremely expensive. We're, we're actually going to be moving to Jacksonville this year. We're looking for a bigger, uh, we need a bigger. we've outgrown our house here. We're going to get a bigger place and uh, literally half the price to live up there, but you're still in Florida, which is the important part. Oh <laughs> so, my God. Yeah. Well, see, the thing that sucks about living here in Pennsylvania is that um, I don't want to, this almost could sound like I'm playing into like a victim mindset, but it's literally like you're perpetually here because real estate's so cheap and wages are like, not that you're necessarily broke, but like, I remember hearing on Tim Cast, um, everybody on there was saying, oh yeah, 180 grand a year. Isn't that much money? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? People yeah. here in Southwestern Pennsylvania, like they're looking around the room, like you make six figures a year. Like people bat an eye at that shit around here. But once again, different areas, different stuff. Um, they live in West Virginia. I, I think Tim is just an asshole who's out of touch and that's <laughs> fine. It just is what it is. But, um, you know, so like I, I bought this house it was under six figures and I have three bedrooms, two and a half bathrooms, um, three floors, a three car garage up top and a one and a half car on the bottom. Um, now, when I went to move to Florida, I would have got a third of the house for double to triple the interest rate or double yeah. to triple the price. So as cool as that would have been, it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to sell my house for just like 20 grand more than what I paid for it and move down for just so much less? Like it just wouldn't have been realistic for me, unfortunately, but I'm like, man, I just, I wish I could. I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. All right. So just, uh, okay. So the house I'm in, it's a, it's an old South Florida house, not mm-hmm. big, rather small. It's about a thousand, a little over a thousand square feet. Uh, and we've maximized it as much as possible. That's why we're, again, we, we have two kids. We need more space. I need a big room because I'm going to build like a legit studio and I want, I want a hammered dulcimer. I want a full drum set. And my dream is to get a, <laughs> my dream is to get an actual pipe organ installed throughout the house in oh, that studio. Shit. So I got big plans for it. <laughs> but um, yeah, a house this size, uh, maybe not a, let let's say up until six months ago, mm-hmm. would have been between three and four hundred thousand dollars, thousand square foot home, wow. one story, not much of a yard, 
mm-hmm. right on a, a street. I don't know if you hear the cars go by, but we've got the jerks that'll just speed by because we're right on a street. So it's not optimal. Um, yeah, I, I, I we're, we're looking to, to scale down as far as uh, size of city because you can get a lot more bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, if you go to Pittsburgh, then you'll pay, I think it's like almost two grand a month for like one of these small apartments. And I'm sure they look beautiful, Jeez. but I'm sorry, I'm not paying $2,000 a month. Like the house I live in now, um, I have a decent size yard. It's not like acreage or anything like that, but there's more than enough room for my dogs to run around. I have a, a 60 pound pit bull, a 90 pound Doberman Australian Shepherd mix, and like a 10 pound mini pin. Um, they got more room than, you know, they need. So, um, and, once again, my mortgage payment every month is like seven hundred dollars or something like that. Um, yeah, that's where you want to be. It's yeah, definitely where you want to be. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of thankful I bought my house when I was 22 because now that I'm almost 30, um, I I can afford it so easily. Like even if things are going bad at work, and I'm, I'm paid flat rate, so I don't have any like guaranteed salary. It's just like kind of the hours that I turn that I get paid. Um, even when things are going shit, I can still afford it. So in that regards, I was kind of glad that I was young and dumb and just bought a house as soon as I could at the higher part of my limit. But now, like if I would have did that now, then that would have been real ugly. Yeah. I'm kind of glad the, uh, there's going to be some turmoil because, uh, the, the price, the, uh, house housing prices in Florida have definitely started to drop a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you have to kind of, you have to kind of strike at a good time because you have interest rates rising. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they'll continue. I think they're going to try and dip the rates again, but if you can catch it right when they dip the rates to try and, you know, not have a recession, (laughs) uh, and force a worse recession down the road and catch it before the housing prices come up. That's what we're hoping for. And I think there's a good chance of something like that happening this year. So keep Mm -hmm. my fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of going back to economics, um, and I wanted to make this point earlier to you, but, uh, the low interest rate conversation is always a very, very interesting one because it does, it's not just like numbers on a piece of paper. Like people think it is like low interest rates really, it changes people's psychology because the way that they consume and the way they take out debt, because it's so easy to manage. Um, that's always just been a fascinating phenomena to me. And I, I can't help but wonder if this was always some more elaborate plot to get people more in line with consuming more and encouraging a more hedonistic, you know, consumption-based culture rather than people who delay gratification and save. Um so just the economic conversation has been fascinating to me, but um, I am kind of surprised that they've been as resolute as they have been over the last about year. So that they've raised interest yeah. rates because um, you know, it's definitely hurting people, but um, you know, as you and I know through the Austrian business cycle, um, the, the pain is necessary because you have to detox because everybody's been living on cheap money for so long. And this is the thing that like people didn't understand about Trump is that you were benefiting from the recovery, right? Um, there was that recession in 2008 and then Obama's recovery, which kind of sucked. And then Trump came along and we still had interest rates super low. So things still look good. And then what happened in 2020? We threw a pin and it popped the health bubble. It popped the financial bubble. All the bubbles popped. And now we're trying to bring it back to life. But as you know, we can kind of see that it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's unfair to say that low interest rates are bad because in a, in a bubble, they're not. Mm-hmm. But if you say, you know, if you're somebody who uh, who thinks what they're doing with the economy is the right thing right now, and uh, everybody, if you know, if you think we need just low interest rates all the time, 
you're you're looking at a still shot of the movie without watching the movie. You need right. to go back to the beginning and watch the whole movie to get the whole story, right? Yeah. So it's not that low interest rates are bad. It's just what we've done to ourselves over the past, you know, 30, 40, 50. You know, it, it just keeps escalating every decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but um, what we've done to ourselves, we've put ourselves in a position where there's really two ways out. One way is a, a recession that's going to hurt. And the other way is we're going to just inflate the value of our dollar to where it doesn't mean anything. Now, what do you think is better long term? If you're somebody who's thinking in the long term, what do you think is better for society? Right. Probably got it. We, we got to swallow the bad medicine, as uh, Peter Schiff would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I always love his talks because I think he's just one of the funniest people out there. Like he just has his boomer humor about him. Like <laughs> you know, heroin feels good when you're higher, so I've been told. But um, yeah, that, that, that is true. Is that a lot, the suffering has to come, and a lot of that's going to have to be defaulted on, and people are just going to either have to repay what they can or just say, "I can't pay the bad debts." But you know, I, I think the way out is going to be that they try to inflate the currency and pay people back in currency that doesn't ultimately mean anything. Because I don't think anybody has the balls to do what Volcker did. You know, what was that forty years ago now, where they push interest rates up super high to help kind of rein in government spending and all that. Um, I don't think there's any political sack to do that. Trump didn't have the sack. And if anybody thinks that there's any political will to do anything amongst Joe Biden, then you're clearly delusional. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if the Santis has the sack to do that exactly. Uh, he does have a sack, though. I think he's oh, yeah. proven that he's got a sack. I don't I don't think he would do that because. Uh, I don't think he would think that would be the right uh, move to pull, but man, I wish there would be. And 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 maybe they kill their political career. But if we can just get a year or two of that, or four, you know, even if it's four years of that, uh, that would do a lot to uh, fix the future. Uh, so we need, yeah, we need, we almost need like a kamikaze politician to go in there, lie to everybody that they're gonna, you know, give everybody a million dollars, get elected, and then say, just kidding, we're good, we're interest rates fifteen percent. I'll see you guys later. And then just like let it ride out for a year or two. That would do a lot of good. <laughs> yeah, post and ghost essentially. Okay, so I'm actually kind of brought um, – I'm glad you brought up DeSantis. So you and I's experience would differ greatly on this. And um, I ask people this all the time because I do think it's very, very fascinating because everybody's world changed overnight. So um, I, I just want to lay my story out real quick. So in March of 2020, I'll never forget my wife getting a piece of paper saying that, hey, you can show the police this if um, you're – caught driving to work and as a mechanic vehicles are always broken so why the hell would i get laid off so need to say march mid-march of 2020 i got laid off and i remember posting on facebook i want to say it was like march 6th of 2020 and i share it every single time i see it um i said i'm not scared of the coronavirus so um (laughs) where were you and what were you doing in march of 2020 and what were your thoughts so uh, I was working for a different company than I work for now. Good company, had a good boss. Was uh, I'm not was not making what I make now, but I was doing pretty good. Uh, you know, we could pay the bills and save money, um, and you know, buy a little extra nice things to keep us entertained. Right? Uh, we had uh, two kids. My uh, my youngest, my daughter, uh, she's three. She was born in 2019. So we had a newborn and a five year old, four year old at that point. Yeah, four, and. Uh, she was born in August and I took a week off, but I, I worked from home for about a month and a half, mm. which was something new for me. Cause I was always in the office, but with my wife, 
I wanted to, you know, spend more time with the kids and talk to my boss. I was like, can I work from home for a month and a half? And then I'll come back in the office. And he's like, yeah, later, let's do that. So I kind of set myself up to work from home already, not even knowing what was coming down the pipeline. Oh, Went back into the office and it was a matter of a month or two before, you know, every, everybody was sent home again. So I, I was already kind of lucky enough to where the position I was in, I could work from home with no impact to my production. And um, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. How can I, how can I kind of uh, relate this to you guys? I wasn't necessarily frightened of the virus. Mm-hmm. I was frightened of, uh, and if you watch the news over the years, you'll start to pick on this. I was frightened of how it was being reported mm-hmm. because you could tell yep. what's going to come the way the news reports certain things. So it's like, okay, this is not, this is going to be really bad in a lot of ways. It's going to be mm-hmm. bad for a lot of people's psyche because a lot of people are going to uh, panic and uh, even if there's something that uh, you should be afraid of, let's say the coronavirus was a legit pandemic with a 10% kill rate. That's terrifying. And you yeah. should be afraid of that. Even if there's something that, that you should be afraid of, you still should not panic. Cause that's the worst thing you can do to deal with a situation like right. that is panic. You need to be sharp and you need to, you need to be able to think on your feet. So I was more worried about just kind of how it was being reported, and you can kind of see it was coming down the pipeline again. If you've lived long enough and you watch enough news over the decades, the game hasn't changed. It has changed, but it hasn't. There's signs there, and you can pick up on it. And um, uh, luckily, work-wise, I uh, I actually got a promotion two months into the pandemic, so like, and I could work from home with the industry I was in, and then you know I, I got the job where I'm working at now, and that was even better for me. So I just really escaped everything economically, and a lot of people did not. And I do not take that for granted that I, I was not – it's not that I was smart enough to put myself in that position. I was just lucky that that's the route I <laughs> took, and it was somewhat coronavirus-proof. Uh, mm-hmm. So we did not struggle like a lot of other people did. Holy crap. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty awesome, actually. Um, I, I got to say I was lucky that – um due to my last name and my dad owning his business um i i didn't have to struggle too much um i was laid off and i didn't get my unemployment for almost a month and once again this wasn't my choice but you know I'm, what am i supposed to do go find a new job they're gonna call me back eventually but um then finally like three weeks in i'm getting like insane amounts of money i'm like well no wonder fucking people don't want to go to work now because you literally like they were handing I, I just like one day I woke up and all of a sudden I had like $4,000. It was like three or $4,000. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No wonder people don't want to go to work. Like you're handing people money. Like it's candy. So, um, but my dad helped me out and then eventually I went back to work and, um, you know, just everything here was so fucked up. It was like, everything was tightly locked down for a month and then they kind of raised up restrictions. And I remember we went and played at this one bar called Brandy's and there were no masks and everything seemed normal. And then we locked down again. And then um, I want to say like six months later, we went back to that same bar and I remember walking in with a mask and this is when there were mask mandates here in Pennsylvania. And I went in there with a mask on, I'm looking around, nobody else swearing. I'm like, Oh my God, I fucking love this place. So I'm um, <laughs> still like packed wall to wall. Um, so it was kind of cool because there was like, I don't want to say a Renaissance, but there was like a lot more people going out to see live music when we were playing shows that like you weren't supposed to, or we were playing outdoor shows, but that seems to have largely died down. So um, you're closer to a big city, right? 
Yeah, it's uh, South Florida is weird. It's very populated. It's the yeah. most populous area of, of Florida, the, the, the tri-county area, again, the three counties together. Yeah. Uh, even a single county, it's, you know, it's, it's the top three counties in Florida, basically. Mm -hmm. But it's not like a New York or an Atlanta. It's not a big city where everybody's stacked up on top of each other. There's there's downtown areas where you do have some big buildings, but for the most part, we're spread out. So it's kind of like a cross between a big city and suburbia. Sure. You'll have little areas with big buildings, and then for the most part, everybody's got a little yard and their own house, and it's more spread out. So it's um it's not as bad down here as it would be mm -hmm. you know being locked down in like a new york or a, sure. uh, you know whatever yeah um still to this day i go out and i see people wearing masks and it's just like the most bizarre thing in the world to me but yeah um <laughs> I i'll never forget when it was like you had to everywhere you freaking went um it, it was in insane to me and I i'm thankful that like a lot of the people around me kind of smelled the bullshit from a mile away. Um, I want to, and I'll pat myself on the back all day, every day about this saying that I, I got it right from the beginning. A lot of the people kind of turned around and said they had it right from the beginning, but um, I, I don't think a lot of them did. So I, I guess one area where I'm curious about um, and where a lot of people don't understand my frustration is that um, I work with all boomer cons, right? I mean, all die in the wool republican people and i've never had more people tell me to get vaccinated than these people get vaccinated yes. wear your masks don't go yes. to work when you're sick like boomer cons republican people and i'm told that these are supposed to be the freedom loving individuals but like a, a majority of these people are hypochondriacs about the fucking virus and i'm not saying that it's like just them but like they buy into this propaganda just as much as everybody else, despite what people think about how Trump called it fake news for years and years and years. Um, these guys are all into the paranoia about the virus. Now they're better in a lot of other regards, but um, they're not very different than from what I hear about most people. So um, what I know you kind of work from your office, but like in your community and the areas you kind of frequent in, what was it like for you? It was weird. Uh, it was not nearly as bad as probably the rest of the country, but sure. it, it was weird in the sense of in Florida, we did lock down for a very little bit and uh, there was a mask mandate statewide for a little bit, but it was did not last long. But in the counties that I'm in, you have county ordinances. So we were mm -hmm. in a spot within two months. I think it was two months when everything in Florida statewide was dropped. But because Broward and Miami are blue, uh, the ordinances were like New York, you have to wear a mask and everything. And DeSantis really kind of is like, no, you can't, you can't force them to do that. So it was this weird thing where you would go out to a store and uh, they would have signs that masks are mandatory, but they weren't. You could walk in without the mask. And I even, I would even ask, and I wore a mask because it's like, you know, when it first hits and you don't know what it is, even if you know the news is lying to you, you don't have enough information to make a good decision. So if right. you wanted to throw a mask on to be safe, I'm not going to knock you for it yeah. but after a couple of months and you realize oh you know i if you if you don't watch the news which i don't i think that's the most important thing stop watching the news read <laughs> read your news online yeah. stop watching tv news but uh, after a couple of months you realize oh i'm probably in a position where if i catch this i'll probably be okay mm -hmm. so uh Everybody, you know, everybody saw the signs up that, that masks were mandatory. But if you walked in without a mask, or you know, I, like my, I have a wobble up the street, and like all the all the people know me there because I was so getting jealous. Gas there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I, I know that the cat, so I would ask the cast, the, the people at the cast register, I'm like, do I have to wear this? And they're like, we can't stop you if you don't want to wear it. I took it off. <laughs> Last time I wore a mask. But yeah. they but they, they would gaslight you and they would have the signs up and, and you would think that it was mandatory. You'd think that you couldn't walk in there without wearing a mask. So it was this weird thing where nobody just had the balls to say what you could and couldn't do. Mm. Um, before you steal the spotlight, this is the moment where I was like, I'm not a libertarian anymore. Mm. So like that is good setup for this moment. So while this is going on, you know, the kids are going to school and we're in Broward County. So it's different from the rest of Florida. Mm. So Broward and Miami Dade wanted to mandate the vaccine for all kids uh, about like first grade or second grade. Mm. There was uh they weren't going to hit kindergartners, but they were pretty young. They were going to mandate vaccines for all the kids straight up. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, we got to look for alternate schooling. Like, I just, my mind started going. Because, like, there was, I'm not against vaccines. I was vaccinated, you know, polio vaccine. I've got all the vaccines. You know, I'm 39 years old when I was born. I got all the vaccines, and I'm fine. So, vaccines are great. But just the way they rushed it out. And uh, I just remember not to, uh, I, I appreciate what Trump did to expose the media. But I remember mm -hmm. when Trump. As soon as he said it's completely safe, I was like, that's not safe. <laughs> it's a vaccine. They have not worked that out yet because you can't work it out if you're rushing it. There's no project that you rush out without a few defects. Right. And I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, as somebody who's literally built multiple businesses from you know operations, systems, like I've been at it all. I've, I've built like five or six companies, and that's no exaggeration. Um there's no project that even if you don't rush out, that doesn't have defects. Now imagine if you rush it out, you're going to have more defects Right. and there just wasn't sufficient time to vet it out. And even as a, I'm stupid medically, I don't know anything medically, but uh, common sense would teach you that, Hey, wait a bit, right? Yeah. Let's just wait. Like it, let's let some information come in. And uh, I did not want that in my kid. No. That's not. And, and especially when they changed the definition of what a vaccine is, to get this out the door. Like yeah. that should be a red flag to you. So I was pan I was like, my mind was going, I'm pan I don't want this in my kids. Uh, you know, if it comes out and it's a, it's a legitimate vaccine on an MNRA, um, sure. And it's tested and it's, you know, tested time approved. And it's like the other vaccines you get with your kid. Great. But uh, this one was just weird. It was mm -hmm. a weird kind of uh 1984 ish type thing going on. So uh, they were going to mandate vaccines. So try and wrap the story up. Apologize for dragging on here. Oh, you're good. Uh, they were going to mandate vaccines. And uh, DeSantis came in and said, if you mandate them, I'm going to pull all your funding for your schools. Mm -hmm. Which, boy, that that could be a, uh, if, if you're in politics, that could be a career killing move, depending on how you do it. And he did it. He said, I'm going to pull your funding and the schools back down. And I was like, that would not happen if libertarians were running the state, that just wouldn't happen. They would find some argument to say why that's fascist. And they did the part. I had a lot of people in the party and the Mises caucus, which I was an early supporter of very early on. Um, not everybody, but some people were saying, Oh, that's fascist, fascist, fascist. It's like, is it though? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. He's, he stopped my kid from getting this experimental vaccine. I, 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 I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah that was the uh, moment i was like i'm done with libertarianism you know what's funny is i don't disagree at all because um <laughs> it should be the choice of the individual and 
if if we go on into specifics and this will get pulled off of YouTube, I've got my balls busted by them. I so was, yeah, I'm, we can cut this if you want. I, no, I, no, I, no, that's, as that's I was going yeah. into the story, I'm like, oh, this is going to get fucking Kyle's episode. Pulled. No, probably not. <laughs> um, it just, when you start going too far one way or the other, they, they never like make it very, very clear, but um bleep me out just like bleep me out at certain <laughs> spots so they can't get everything well we'll put like a little pinch harmonics there yeah. um I, I i don't see any problem with saying hey we're going to pull your funding because this is violating individuals rights and um children are not at risk so what is the upside benefit you know um so i you know, I really don't have any problem with that. And people saying that, like, oh, well, this is fascism. Like, why is it bad to use the government to help protect individuals' rights? Like, in that regards, that's prefer or more preferable than the government not doing that, right? Like, we could have a preference for these kind of things. Like, um, you know, if <laughs> The argument for universal health care, I don't like the idea of universal health care, but if somebody told me, hey, you could have universal health care or you could have the warfare state, I would choose universal health care because, hey, like at least in theory, you're not murdering people overseas, right? Yeah. If you had to choose, right? I'd rather the money go towards taking care of people than killing them. <laughs> That's a yeah. preference. That doesn't mean it's my North Star. That doesn't mean it's the pinnacle. But you know, if we have a government and it's going to do something, then it should do a function that it was kind of designed for, right? Which is protecting property rights, individual rights, freedom, liberty. That's kind of the idea that was laid out when we found this nation was, once again, government's here to protect your rights. Uh it's not only that, and uh, I know this argument is kind of full of holes, and I'll even address those holes, but it's like, it's my kid. Yeah. I, I make the call of what goes in him, right? Mm -hmm. Va you know, medical-wise, vaccine-wise. And then you can say, oh, well, they, you know, they need a polio vaccine to attend school. Like, mm -hmm. you can't attend school unless you're vaccinated. It's like, okay, well, I understand that argument, but you're talking about a vaccine that was vetted out over decades uh, right. that we know works. <clears throat> this is not the same thing. So you can't, you can't even really compare those. And it's, is it even, you know, they had to, again, change the definition. So, um, I don't know if you saw, did you see the project Veritas video that was released yesterday? Uh, I saw something with them saying that they're using that to manipulate the way that the virus is going out. Um, I take a healthy dose of skepticism when it comes to Project Veritas and sure. a lot of the alt media, just because I, a lot of people don't want to admit there's a grift to both sides. Like people don't want to admit that Tim Cast has a reason to be hyperbolic and say shit that's going to rile everybody up into a frenzy, even though if it's not entirely true, like he does the same shit that the mainstream media does just in another direction. He provides the counter narrative. And sometimes you have to kind of approach that cautiously. And I'm sorry to go on a long tangent, but it's just, nope. I feel like a lot of people don't take your Robert Malone, your Peter McCullough, your Tim Poole, your Alex Jones. I feel like they don't approach him. People like us, I feel like they don't approach them with the same skepticism that they approach the mainstream news with. Rightfully so, but once again, you should apply that skepticism equally and vet all claims. So like you're given guru trust, but verify, you know, that's, that's basically all I ask for people. And a lot of people trust, but they don't verify. So uh, I'm, I'm talking a little bit out of my ass because I just saw the video, but I didn't watch it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. You should check mm -hmm. it out. And uh, so there's two videos. There's the video. So he sets the guy up on a date, <clears throat> and uh, he gets this. Uh, apparently, he was a contractor, but he was working with Pfizer, mm -hmm. and kind of spills the beans on some shit that's going on. That it's like, hey, can we can we call this experimental now? Because it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like it's you shouldn't get struck because this guy just ratted himself out yeah and then there was a second video that was released i don't know if it was released yesterday or today i saw the second video today of james o'keefe coming up and confronting the dude and this dude just losing his shit in the middle of a restaurant and he he like literally lost it where uh he was breaking the camera equipment and he took james o'keefe's mm -hmm. uh tablet where he Jeez. was showing him the video and he's Threw it on the ground, and he I, he had to get pushed because he was getting violent. Mm. Uh, but he it was just interesting to watch this guy flip out because even if he was a contractor, if you're not in the corporate or business world, whether you, if you're a vendor or contractor of any type working with a corporation, you don't get anywhere without signing an NDA first. And mm. that dude is probably going to jail now, and that's why he's <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> but he. Man, it was just an interesting video. Um, I understand what you what you mean by uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I completely agree. I tweeted the other day, beware the internet personality. Yeah. Um, you have to be careful who you really become a big fan of. Uh, like somebody like Eric July, who released his uh, his uh, his comic and he started a comic book company. From day one, is like I'm doing this to make money. I'm doing this to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It, 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 he loves it. He loves what he's doing. He's a yeah. big fan of comics. I'm not really a huge fan of comics. Uh, again, I bought a couple last year. Before that, it was 25 years before I bought one. It's immature, yes, but I mean, compared to death scrolling on Netflix for to watch something that's going to suck anyway, reading a good comic is not a bad option. Mm -hmm. Even if you're an adult, you can feel a little immature, but it's still better than stuff. It's more mature than what you can watch on most of the streaming that. But from the start, he's like, I'm in this to make money. I'm in this to make money. And that turns a lot of people off. But you should realize it's like, hey, he's being upfront with you about what he wants here. Right. And that's what you should look for. It's like, hey, I'm, you know, when I release Ruthless, um, I released it for free. I, I, I didn't really have, I will have a monetary interest in it. Uh, but I released it for free, one, to build a name. Mm -hmm. And I've been pretty upfront of it. Like, I want this to build my name. I want this to build my name. I want this to build my name. So that's my interest in it. And, and you know, I'd love the, I, I, you know, it didn't get a lot of um, views off the bat, but the views that it did get, I think it's at 500 now, got oh, me 100 wow. yeah. subs and it got me about 50 people who want to give me money. It was like, hey, do you have a product that I can buy that, you know, a mm -hmm. print or whatever? And it's like, well, not yet. I'm working on that. But that's what I wanted. I wanted a connection with people that you can almost be friends with and i wanted to build my name so as far as the griff look for people who are honest straight up they might say some things that turn you off but there's some value there too because at least they're being upfront with what they what they look for and i think a lot of people even like as much as i enjoy tim pool every now and then doesn't really admit that all, all the time yeah yeah, um, I couldn't agree with that more. And there's something to be appreciated about Eric July saying, hey, I'm doing this to make money. Like, it, you should always look for the people who are just being honest and not pulling punches. And, um, you know, God, Eric July is one of the people who got me into libertarianism. But, um, you know, with your product, you kind of put it out there as a way to, like you said, build your name. So you're putting out something for free to just kind of build people's trust and then give them something to bite on. So that way they can, you know, get into your stuff later on, which is just freaking awesome. But yeah, um, I, 
it just really frustrates me when people don't treat all sources of news with the same skepticism. Like there's some people that you can trust because they always put sources up. So like the reason why I'm so anal about sourcing stuff and trusting people and verifying what they're saying is true is because, you know, a lot of this stuff came to me that of like the nutrition world where there's so many charlatans when it comes to nutrition and diet and shit like that. And then um, one of the people who I originally, like when I first started getting into the health and fitness world as much as I am now, um, Lane Norton was one of the guys who really turned me on to stuff. But initially I fucking hated him. I thought he was an asshole. I thought he was an idiot. I thought he was completely wrong. And then just over time I kept listening. I'm like, okay, well he actually cites human randomized controlled trials and gives evidence as to what he's saying about like, you know, sugar, artificial sweeteners, saturated fat, all the stuff that a lot of people will demonize for their own grift. Right. Yes. Um, so when it comes to political information, I do kind of the same thing. So when I see all this panic about TikTok or this panic about China or the panic about Russia, um, all this stuff, I always try to dig a little bit deeper and see, oh, well, there's not actually a lot here for people to freak out about. Um, so it's just the fact that people like the whole China's buying up all the land. Like if you literally just Google search it, they own less than a half of 1%. So what are we freaking out about? It's just because there's a crusade against China. And then, of course, anything with Russia right now is a hot button topic, too. So anything to provide the grift for the Democrats to say we need to throw, you know, another blank check at Ukraine, we could do that, too. So I, I know it's a long tangent, but basically to put it on top of your point, just trust but verify, um, beware of online personalities and people who are at least being honest, you can at least take them with a lot less grains of salt than you could somebody who's not being straight up with you. It's funny you brought up TikTok because I, I, I understand the argument of uh, maybe not banning TikTok from a government perspective of uh, why you would want to dissuade somebody from using yeah. TikTok. I don't have TikTok. My wife does. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's, from my position, I'm too old for TikTok. Like, <laughs> yeah, Facebook and Twitter, that's kind of what I grew up with. I should stick there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't be on any of these new platforms after that came out after I was 30, 35. That's just, it's not my time. <laughs> yeah. You kids have fun. It's none of my business, right? But um, uh, as far as everybody says that China's going to get your data. China's going to get your data. And uh, there should be some concerns with your information getting out there. But you have to realize something with data because that's all anybody can talk about is it's overrated. Data is overrated because most people don't understand how to look at it or analyze a property. This is coming from somebody who looks at data all the time and understands it. And, and, and maybe I'm not the best, but I can, I can mm -hmm. analyze the data in my industry uh, for me, millions of dollars proven. I've analyzed data to the point where I've earned companies millions of dollars on an annual basis. So – uh, and most people can't do that, but you also don't want to put yourself in a position where personal information gets out that can harm you. So, um, just, just kind of realize that when people bring up the data argument, it's less about the data and more about protecting yourself and making sure, you know, you don't hand somebody a gun to shoot you. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because once again, Israel has all, has probably more access than they would have through TikTok, Right. So um, when you look at the TikTok situation, all that data is actually stored on servers here in the United States. And the only info that they can get off of TikTok is the info that they can get off your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, everywhere else. So, and there were situations where there were data breaches 
through the company and those people were fired immediately after. So if this was some elaborate scheme to get government data, it's not doing very well at all. And none of this stuff took very long for me to find out. But once again, this is just another panic to get people whipped up into a tizzy to throw more control towards the government so that way they can crack down against a government that they don't like right now. And once again, this is why they're perpetuating the Uyghur genocide claims, because, um, you know, what what precedes any war or any huge government action is the, uh, you know, the justification through a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, here's the thing about your data. There's already enough of it out there on you for them to do whatever they want for against you, right? <laughs> yeah. like, that's the right. truth. It doesn't even the people that have that have VPNs and took. Have you ever talked about a topic and then checked your phone afterwards? And an mm -hmm. advertisement tied to that topic is the first thing that pops up on your phone. Like it's it's you're already screwed. So your your position now should be to shame them and be an adult and stand your ground like mm -hmm. it's i'm not saying to just you know from a data perspective again don't hand somebody a loaded gun to shoot you with but yeah. uh, i mean it's it's already done they they've they've already that piece is already in place now what what piece is coming down next and how do you fight that right all right so i know you had a little bit of a time limit but um i, I want to pivot over to uh something that um we're both mutually passionate about i asked tommy this last night when i had him on so i'm curious your thoughts um and I think I've seen some of them, but uh, I'm curious for you to elaborate a little bit more. Pantera 2023, go ahead. Oh, before I even, oh my God. Uh, and, and we can run long. We'll, we'll just, we'll just, we'll take it where it goes. <laughs> and by the way, in case you didn't notice, I know the lighting kind of sucks here, but. Hey, time back. Yeah. Gotta be camo. Yeah. Uh, before I make a comment on Pantera, the great Tommy Sammons, uh, we're gonna we're gonna end up on a podcast soon. He invited me to his podcast one time. I couldn't make it; it was kind of last minute. But I'd love to talk to that dude. Mm -hmm. I know we, we talked about him in the chat. That dude's awesome. Oh, he's just one of the greatest people ever. He really is. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this is a a very very shitty tattoo, but that is actually a silhouette of Dime after he died. They this was a silhouette on the website. Um, and then Metal Rain's Forever is the wording on there. And my band was called Metal Rain. I thought it'd be a cute play that even if the band ended, I would not be ashamed of this shitty tattoo uh, that I that I got being older. And I was correct. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't care if you think it looks ugly. That's a tattoo that means a lot to me. But um, yeah, I can't. I mean, first of all, I don't know if you check their tour dates, but there's like four or five spots in the U.S. and every other spot is outside the U.S., and as pant like American metal, that right there is an insult. Like they I did just announce believe... a tour with uh, Lamb of God, though. To be fair, okay, I didn't know that, but okay. still, their first tour out is Pantera. I think mm -hmm. my criticism stands true. So yeah, yeah, they, if, that's fair. If they recoup that, I'll give them that. But that's not even the the biggest point. Just mm -hmm. the first thing I noticed when I looked at it. But um, Dimebag and Vinny, who were that the. You know, Daryl Abbott was Dimebag. He was the guitarist, and uh, Vinny, Vinny Abbott, Vinny Paul uh, was the drummer. They were brothers. Uh, first off, to have two brothers that talented at different instruments is incredible. I mean, yeah. that doesn't happen much. <laughs> but um, from both a playing and a com composition perspective, like it, when it comes to music, if you're not a musician or a creator, it's not just like how fast they play or, you know, uh, how good they play. It's it's composing that together from nothing. Like you have to create that and get there. Right. And that that's where the magic happens. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate the composition part, which is, that's my favorite part of music is composing. 
Um, but they did not end on good terms. <laughs> like the, they're rolling over in their graves right now. And just because of that fact, I can't support this stupid tour and uh, nothing against Zach Wild. Like he was good friends with Dimebag. Dimebag would say that now. He's it's probably his way of trying to honor him and make a little money. Um, but uh, I just, God, they really. I mean, Phil wasn't even invited to their funerals. Yeah, and they how long were they were in Pantera for what twenty years? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was not, it's a complete, you're spitting on the graves of them. So I, I just can't support it because when you, when you listen to Pantera, I mean, and Phil's an asshole, but, but goddamn, when he was young, there was, there was not a front man as talented as him ever. No, not even it's close. Just, if you listen to Cemetery Gates and, and hear the range of how well he could just sing in the vibrato and hit the high notes and then scream too. And Phil didn't do that fake scream that Lamb of God does. And I love Lamb of God, mm-hmm. but a lot of people who are screamers do this fake growl. Uh, I forgot the 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 vocal coach, but a lady, uh, Cross. yes, mm-hmm. she made that very popular metal bands and it was terrible. Now, when you scream full force like Phil did, or my brother, he did not fake it. He was a he was a real screamer. It takes a toll on you. And it's not good for your longevity. I'll admit that. But there's a quality in it that you can never replicate with anything fake. And I hate that middle. I hate that fake growly scream. It just doesn't sound good. And you had this guy that could do it all. Man, yep. he could he could literally sing like Whitney Houston and then sing like a and scream like a monster, two measures apart. So talent wise, a legend. Phil was a legend, but he he turned into just like this fat slob in the later parts of Pantera. Mm-hmm. He wasn't as good live. He was a, he was not a good person and they had a terrible falling out. And uh, that lasted till the day they died. And uh, I think what he's doing is a complete, completely disrespectful move to, uh, to Daryl and uh, Vinny. So <sighs> I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to see him. Oh man. Okay. So I, I completely get that. Um, yeah. I see where you're coming from. Um, I do think Phil feels sincerely bad about the way that all that shit played down. Um, sure. And you and I, I think, see eye to eye on the way that we see Phil because there is nobody that could do the Rob Halford and then go to, you know, 1996, the Great Southern Trend Kill, which is probably oh, one yeah. of the, the heaviest records ever written. Like, I don't know. I, when I hear these people playing metalcore and deathcore, and look, I love Whitechapel, Upon a Burning Body. You name the deathcore band. I generally like them. But, like, there's a certain heaviness to like hell's wrath or you know um sandblasted skin that just they they can't touch you could make whatever breakdown you want there's just something about like that dirt and grit of the great southern trend kill that just cannot be duplicated and like you hear all these bands and people say oh well they just aped pantera nobody can Pantera had this intensity about them. That's the thing that they're that most bands are missing. Like you could play the bluesy, groovy, you know, drop D, you know, three zero, three, five, six riffs, whatever you want. And it sounds cool. I love it. But nobody had that same intensity that Pantera had. Nobody. And they found a way to do that. And Dime had that smooth legato and just they were such a well-oiled unit that I I just I I always say they're the best band that ever walked the earth. I don't know if anybody will ever touch them. (laughs) 
they they and I would argue they are maybe not uh I mean playing wise you can argue it I would say composition wise how they wrote music because mm -hmm. um you're correct uh there's an this is my favorite part about metal there's an aggressiveness to metal and it has nothing to do with what your guitar tuning is we tune standard E and drop like by Washburn standard E the black one the red yeah. one is drop D that's all we played. Huh. The drop D was our heavy one. And you're already talking about drop C and B and stuff. So it's not about <laughs> where you're tuned. Yeah. It's the aggressiveness of your riff. And it has to do with how you can integrate, uh, you know, notes on a downbeat with notes on the offbeat and the rhythms you can come up with. And you can establish an aggressive rhythm to get somebody into it and then introduce something musical, you know, maybe a, a highlight leading up to a pre-chorus um, or, you know, some kind of run up or run down in the chorus. Like there's so much flexibility with metal. Like I'm, I've written, um, I don't know if you can see it, but our album's in here. Yeah. It's actually shadow box. That's our, that's our album. Before that we did a demo after that, when I got into home recording, when we started a new band with most of the people from this, we did another album's worth of music. And since I've been home recording for the last three and a half years, shit, I've done hours worth of music. Mm -hmm. So I've written a lot of music. And I, I don't even think I've started to tap my potential from a composition perspective because I think I'm in the right mindset of how I want to write the metal. How can I make this musical? How can I how can I take a standard E guitar and write a riff that's so aggressive? People are like, man, this is heavy as shit. And then they'll listen to somebody with a drop C just doing like, dun, 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 dun. and you're like, it's kind of boring, right? Because yeah. it's just some, so. All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox and Sons coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here, or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, it is organically roasted up in Michigan. If you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the electric boogaloo blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you. And um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan, and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks being creative and how you write your riff and, and alternating between your downbeats and your offbeats and figuring out a rhythm that can be groovy and aggressive at the same time is my favorite part about metal and then introducing the musicality on top of that with your leads or mm -hmm. uh, if you're harmonizing like a like some sort of walking part or solos or you, you could pull in the bass and do a bass solo it's so much you can do with metal i don't think i'll ever run out of ideas for writing metal it's my favorite yeah thing. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is uh, Tommy and I were talking last night about metal. It, it it's heavy, but the way it's heavy is completely different. So like, yeah. um, Hell's Wrath is differently heavy than Floods is, or let's talk about Black Label Society. Um, I sent Tommy over uh, Zach playing the Last Goodbye on piano just by himself, and that's like one of the most beautiful fucking things ever, right? In this river by Black Label Society is a different kind of heavy than um, something like Whitechapel might write, right? It's all about the the lyrics or how the song's constructed. And um, one thing that also popped in my mind while you were talking there was uh, Gojira. So Gojira um, plays in like D standard and drop C, right? 
but um a lot of these other deathcore bands they have seven strings eight strings but like gojira is another one of these bands it's just like ridiculously heavy that doesn't have to use stupid low tunings it's just because they're so freaking tight and their riffs are so punchy that it has that fucking just awesome enormous sound yeah um yeah it's all that stuff's just fucking awesome and um yeah, just the one thing I always loved about um, Dimes playing was just like that smooth legato. And nobody else had that same kind of just shredding they did. And then the way that he could use a whammy bar that wasn't like annoying, like some people get a little carried away with it. There's just – there's literally no one that could ever play like Dime. But um, to kind of tie it back to – He he could ahead. flow he could flow between speed and aggressiveness and okay. feeling mm-hmm. like – like hitting the proper bend or you know vibrato Mm -hmm. and he can go back and forth in that so quickly and effortlessly without you even expecting it like with the grace of an angel Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's why he's (laughs) the best to me he's Mm -hmm. the best yeah um so tying it back to pantera right now um I think Phil does feel bad about the way that things went down. And I think he realizes that he, he's been a very, very flawed person for quite a while in in this respect, at least, you know, obviously we don't know him personally, but um, he feels it's a way to honor their legacy. And I I do got to say, I'm actually impressed with how well Charlie Benanti plays Vinny's parts. Um, I, I, I understand why they picked him because they always consider Dime the sixth member of Anthrax. Because he was in, um, he did some solos on Stomp 442, and I think he even did some vocals in a couple songs too. Um, so, and Vinny was more like the business guy. He didn't have, you know, that same relationship with any other kind of drummers. So it makes sense. And I think um, he's actually doing really, really well playing those songs. And Zach plays the songs like Dime, but still has that Zach flair to it. And Phil, to his credit, um, throughout like, I want to say probably like 2012 to probably like 2020, he was really, really rough. But it seems like he's kind of turning the page there and he's getting back to not as great as he was, but like he's kind of finally caught up to it. Like I saw Down and I want to say like 2014 and his voice was just fucking wrecked. But I think he's kind of back to somewhere where he can at least perform and sound good. Like I've watched a couple of their videos and it's not you know 1993 phil live at donnington playing far beyond driven but um it's it's getting there like it's it's kind of like super joint ritual in the early 2000s kind of like that level i would say yeah i understand where you're coming from but if you really want to honor somebody that you did not end on good terms with that they passed do it without money being a factor sure okay do it for a while without money being a factor Mm -hmm. and then once you're in the respect back then you do it like there's just they're doing it to make money. Mm-hmm. That's why they're turn. They're doing it to make money. And there's just, I, I will always have a problem. I mean, I won't have a problem with them doing it to make money, but they know that, um, that that relationship was just soiled until, until their deaths. Yeah. Um, so if you're really a friend, do it without money being a factor, do something to earn a respect back, do a tribute, Take the money, donate it to even if you donate it to to kids who want to buy a guitar to learn how to play guitar. That would be acceptable to me because I think that that would do a lot of good. It sounds silly, but I think that would do a lot of good for the world because you you would get some stars out of that. But yeah, um, yeah it just I, I I 
I understand where you're coming from. Just personally, I can't get there. I mm-hmm. won't be able to get there, and you can't convince me to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, fair enough. Um, I, I, I was, uh, <laughs> I knew my wife was the one, and I mean, this was after we got married, but um, it was just like last week. Um, we're going to go see them out in New Jersey, and um, they're coming here to Pittsburgh with Lamb of God, and I've seen Lamb of God, I think, five or six times. And um, I said, hey, well, why don't we sell our tickets and cancel our hotel out in New Jersey so that way we could just go see Pantera here in Pittsburgh. Right? I mean, we're going to go see um, – they're torn with Metallica, and I think there's a couple other bands. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't cancel the hotel, and you can't get a refund for your tickets. But um, <laughs> she texts me back and says, well, why don't we just like go to both? I was like, okay. Nice. <laughs> keeper. It's a keeper. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I said. Um <laughs> So yeah, fellas, if um, you ever want to go to a concert and your wife and your girlfriend says, uh, "Why not both?" Um, that should be a consideration to whether or not you end up getting a ring on your hand. <laughs> yeah. That's fair advice. That's a advice well taken. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. So, um, what were some of like the uh, projects that you used to play? And so I see your Metal Rain over there. And, um, you know, what kind of stuff do you kind of put out now? Because uh, I, I like your perspective because I'm not, you know, I'm a guitar player for guitar player's sake and I enjoy the composing as well. Um, it's why me and my drummer get along really well because I always compare him to like a Lars Ulrich where Lars is not oh. the best drummer and he knows why, that. Yeah, why would you insult your drummer so poor, so terribly? Just, 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 just <laughs> follow, follow me down this line. Okay. Um, he plays to the song, and I think Lars does that very, very well. Lars is a great composer because I think Metallica writes great songs, right? And Lars doesn't overplay. My drummer is the same exact way, and him and I speak the same language. I play very well with him. He plays very well with me, and when we play live, um, you'll always notice him and I kind of making eye contact and rolling through sets, and we always know we know each other's cues so we can keep the rest of the band going. Um I'm guessing you probably had a similar relationship with the people that you played with. So, okay, this will be a good topic. Okay, before I get into this, as an award-winning drummer, before I even touched a guitar for many years, I can confirm that Lars is not a good composer. Don't listen to Kyle on that. Neil Peart. (laughs) Is a good composer from a drummer. <laughs> I, 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 I can't stand Rush though. I, I I'm so I, I respect what uh, they do, but I hate Rush. I just I, I think getting I these voices Rush. is awful. It, it's just it, like no yeah, chalkboard. I, I can understand that. Okay, <laughs> so um, the pictures are kind of dark, but mm-hmm. there's there's five solo pictures down here, and that's each individual band member. Mm-hmm. So that's me over there. Um, I uh, I started in the first thing I ever did musically was piano when I was eight. After that, when I was 10 to 12, I was in a, a, a choir that you had to audition for. There was 3,000 auditions and 250 kids made it, and I made it. Wow. Uh, so I can't sing now, but I used to be, be able to actually sing pretty good, operatic. After that, I got into uh, you know middle school, high school band. The first thing I ever played was oboe in school band. That lasted for a year. Then I went to drums in seventh grade, and I played drums until 12th grade. So I played drums for quite a while. We were in competitions. We were in award-winning but and the, my best friends today are the are the friends that were in that drum line. So I basically came from drum line is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this band, except for my brother in the middle, who was our front man, we're all in that drum line through high school. So that's mm-hmm. who we played with. We were with we were already with friends that we knew forever. We were already musically in tuned. Um, the way the whole thing started was uh, on this side, the other guitarist, that was my rhythm guitarist, Justin. Um, he taught me how to play guitar and we were just hanging out after school and he brought the guitar over one day 
and then uh he was just kind of playing and he's like oh you, you want to mess around with it and i at that point i never picked up a, a guitar before in my life i was like 18 and i just started messing around with it but i you know i learned i was again i was a good drummer played piano played oboe i i I've always been able to pick up an instrument, and just figure it out pretty quickly. Um, and the next day he came over, he brought a bass and that's how I learned. I picked up the bass, started playing bass. And uh, I think it was a month or two in, um, he had brought over a second guitar for me to keep at the house and like a little shitty Fender amp, like one of those you know, cheap throwaway ones. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to Eruption from Eddie Van Halen, and I couldn't play Eruption, obviously, because I was a, a newbie at guitar, but I can do the tap-on part at the end, and I can do it rather well. So two months in, I figured out the tap-on part the, in, at the end of Eruption, if you know what it is. And the next time he came over, I showed him that I can do it, and he's like, you got to play guitar. He's like, forget bass. He's like, you got to play. So that was it. That's how we started. It was me and him, and then I just seriously took uh, I, I took a very serious approach to learning how to play lead guitar. Brought the Washburn very shortly after. Uh, not cheap. That guitar is not cheap, and that's a that's a Dimebag signature series. I think there were like twelve hundred made ever. So oh, that's wow. a very rare guitar. It's twenty years old. I don't even know what it's worth now, but it was yeah. two thousand when I bought it. So it's got to be worth something. Uh, and then we bought in our drummer John Jones, uh, who's a fucking excellent drum dude. You should drum with. He's a great composer mm -hmm. as a drummer. He hated he hated blast beats. He hated the Lars. He would never do that. You would never care. You always wanted to be like we. And and when we started writing music, and Justin was a good writer too, but it was always me and John because we were. That was my best friend. The drummer was my best friend too. Like tops more than mm -hmm. more. Oh, not as much as my brother. My brother's my brother, but outside of my brother, John was my best friend, and I was very close to everybody else, but not to the level like John lived with me for years. Mm -hmm. So. um we would just like when we wrote music it was angry we would go at each other like we were enemies and then as soon as we hit something good like all that anger just dropped out of the room and we were like fuck you let's let's go <laughs> what's next we got the verse what's the pre-chorus what's the chorus what's the breakdown what's the solo so like that's how we would write it was very passionate and intense and we could handle it because we knew that when we went at each other it wasn't because we didn't like each other it's because we wanted to bring the best out of each other mm -hmm. so that was kind of like the uh uh, that was the atmosphere that we wrote music in and practice and was very serious. And I don't want to say I was a leader of the band, but I was, I was the guy who would go out and book the shows and organize everything. And we would go out and scout other bands. Um, and when we first started playing, we played a couple small shows and, you know, you, when you play small shows, you're playing in front of four or five people. Yeah. Maybe the, the second show we ever played, it was two people and my mother and my mother <laughs> yeah. was like, out in the middle of the, uh, you know, there was no pit, but she was out in the middle, you know, screaming and waving and everything. So we yeah. had a good support system too. You play for the other bands in your parents. Yeah. Basically, yes. And uh, I, I quickly realized um, as the person who was doing the, the gig book and then like kind of the business mind that if we wanted to get an audience, we have to headline shows. So it's like, okay, we're not going on anybody else's show. We're going to organize every show we play for now. And we're always the headliner. And that's what we did. So we organized a few and kind of figured it out, made made some friends with other bands. Um, and I hope probably going off on a tangent because I know you're talking about writing music. Oh, you're good, you're good. Here, so you're coming along for the ride, motherfucker. So <laughs> the, the smartest thing I ever did was, you know, we're, we're in it about six, eight months. We're getting good. We're getting tighter. We're starting to write better stuff. We're starting to meet other bands that are good and that like us and then want to play with us. 
And I was like, how can we organize a really big show to actually get people out? Like more than 20 people. How can we get 100 people out or 200 people out? So I, I created a show called Medal of Models. And I went to a, a, a bigger club and I, <laughs> I put a whole book together, like a, a portfolio book of here are the bands, here are the models. This is how the show is going to go. It's called Medal of Models, like a whole pitch. And I would go to just different big places and I would talk to the managers and I would say, here's what I put together. I want the show here, but this is what I need from you. I'll let you collect all the money. The bands will work for free, but you got to pay the girls. And kind of, that was kind of the deal. Like we just wanted exposure. <laughs> the first one wasn't the biggest, but we, we got a good amount of people out for a bunch of no-name bands. And the manager of that place loved the idea and loved us and just had a great time that night. So when it came time for the second one, we were going to have it at the same place, but they shut down. And he knew someone at the Hard Rock in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood, Florida. I don't know if it's a pretty good hard rock. And they had a place called Legends, which was awesome for a local band. Uh, we played with Wasp. You know who Wasp is? Oh, do I know who Wasp is? That's that that. I there's a flyer right there. I don't know if you can see it. That's we played yeah. with Wasp at Legends. Oh, holy fucking! Shit. That's another good story. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll tell you about. But um, it was a great place. Great lighting. Great sound. You can fit a thousand people in there. And that guy, because we made that connection with him, got us in Hard Rock. And that's mm -hmm. where we played the second and the third one. And we became very close to Hard Rock. And that's when we started to build a name and got in the radio. And our manager was actually a, a radio personality at the local rock station. So that was kind of the journey of, you know, how we built the band. And, and we were never signed, but we became very successful locally. We had two offers where if we did sign them, we would have been poor. So we didn't. And then things kind of fell apart, but man, we had a good ride for like five, six years of just writing good metal, uh, learning how to perform at a professional level, uh, becoming really good at your, your craft and, and enjoying it for the right reasons. Holy hell. Yeah. I, I, that kind of makes me sad because I almost feel like my band right now is, I don't want to say at that point, but, um, in 2020, we released our CD in January and then, um, we played a show in February and like we had <clears throat> dates set up all over this side of the country, going to these big festivals. And I was really looking forward to it. And then a lot of that momentum just died off. And um, I'm hoping that we can kind of kick it back up a notch, but you know, we'll just kind of have to see what happens. Um, yeah, man. Open for Wasp. That's fucking awesome. We opened for Lita Ford. We're going to open for her again in May. Um, Firehouse. The coolest show that we played, funny enough, was in um July of 2020, and we opened for Steel Panther out at the uh, Butler Drive-In, yeah. and um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a sold-out show, and I I'm sure you can relate to this, so I'm curious if um you know if you had a similar experience, but um I remember they have this stage and it's set up and it's it's enormous. After we're done on here, I'll um I'll show you the video. But um, I remember my drummer hitting the snare when we're doing the sound check and I feel it in my chest. And then he'd hit the kick and you feel it in your chest. So like it's one thing to be on the other side of the barrier feeling it, but when you're on stage and you feel it, there's it, it it's it's insane. And then yeah. looking out and seeing over a thousand people and in between each song, there's people hitting their horns and flashing their lights. And it, it was just, it's an experience. I mean, it's a high, like you just can't fucking imagine. We only played five songs, but I mean, there's something just breathtaking about hitting a chord 
and feeling it just fucking resonate through your whole body. And then once again, the drummers kick, you feel it. It's just, I don't know. I I can't describe it well enough. It's just fucking awesome. And I, I I live for that shit. I'm getting goosebumps just relating to you. So, okay. (laughs) There, there is no drug that can compete with what Kyle's trying to convey to you. Uh, When we started the band and I'll I'll talk about a similar show that we had Mm -hmm. Uh, when we started the band, there is a um, there's a uh, a live video of Pantera playing in Moscow, and I forget what the show was called. It happened in like the late late nineties. Oh, I know exactly what you're. Talking. It wasn't yeah. Monsters of Rock, but I know what you're talking about. It's that video yeah. that's all over YouTube, black and white. Yes, yeah. And the crowd, it's it's less about the crowd and more just about the stage and your perspective of just like all these people mm-hmm. and being on it. And, and it has to be a big stage and it has to be outside. It just has to be <laughs> yeah. like this natural, like a big outside stage. And I was like, God damn, like that's a dream to get on a stage that big. So um, when we were really popular, we our manager was again working for the local rock station. She was like one of the top three personalities on that rock station. Got us a show at their uh, annual summer metal event. It was called End of Summer Slam. I think it was, god damn, when was that? I can't remember exactly. But I got a flyer and a t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> a long time ago. But it, I'm going to throw out some names that weren't the biggest, but you might recognize it. Uh, Nonpoint was a headliner. Have you oh, ever heard of Nonpoint? Yeah. The Nonpoint came from South Florida, too. That's why they headlined it. They were really oh, big yeah. in South Florida. And then Bullet for My Valentine was on the bill. And um, this band was less popular, but they were signed. Evans Blue. Oh, my uh, God. I love all those bands. Evans Blue. Yeah. Uh, uh, dude, Evans Blue does not like us. I'll tell you why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> um, uh, was Ankla on that show? There was a band. I don't know if you've heard of Puya. They were smaller, but Puya was like the most popular Puerto Rican metal band out there. Their guitar, his that, that guitarist started a band called Ankla, like, uh, they didn't make it too far, but the album they released was like an awesome, like a Sepultura plus one. Ooh. They were fucking awesome. I loved Angla. It was like that that Spanish rhythm and instruments yeah. with really heavy metal. I'll, I'll I'll let me see if I can. I'll, I'll send you a link to their their CD. You'd like mm-hmm. them. Um, but yeah, we it was it it was end of summer slam. It was the biggest local rock station in South Florida, which is a very populous area, and we were on the bill. And before we went on stage, it, there was a lot of setup. But before we went on stage, there was a lot of people there. Um, this is what, the what year was it, by the way? Oh, uh, early to mid two thousands, long time ago. Oh, okay. All right. So, okay. Long I'm sorry. Going. I'm, I'm, I yeah. got something to add on here, but I'm really, really, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> so we're going on stage, and I was, again, I, I was kind of the hype man too and i'm just i'm just everybody's there and and all the bands that are non-point was standing right there just like all the bands actually stood and watched you play which is pretty cool mm-hmm. and non-point is guys they're fucking awesome cool cool ass band to hang out anyway they're all standing there and they're waiting for us to go on so they can watch us and there's a big fucking crowd of people in this huge outside stage with fucking lights and the sound just hits you in the chest and it's like an otherworldly experience, and we're about to go on stage, and I just go off on a, I just fucking start ripping like, I want every fucking band. If I'm talking to you know my guys, I want every fucking band that comes on after us to fucking fear, to fear us because they have to play better than I. I was just going off, just yeah. getting everybody just, and we went out there and fucking crushed it. We crushed mm-hmm. it so bad, and like, 
if you've never like worked to get to that point for years and then get there and then crush it, you'll just never understand what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is cause like bolt for my Valentine out is huge. Yeah. And Tommy and I, once again, we're talking about this kind of last night. Um, a lot of those like early new wave of American heavy metal bands, like God forbid and um, shadows fall are the two that come to mind first. Yeah. They were um, like some of the OGs, like fucking God forbid took Trivium on their first tour. And then they ended up calling it quits before Trivium did. Trivium's huge. Both for my Valentine's huge. Both for my Valentine's fucking way bigger than Nonpoint now. And, uh, you know, yes. I um, I don't know if I could really put a pin on which one I really like more because I do like both of them a lot. I do like Evans Blue quite a bit, too. Um, I, want, I, I, I was not a fan. <laughs> Uh, okay fair enough they're they're newer their stuff with their second singer um dan is his name i think um is a lot um different than their first two or three albums but um yeah that's that's interesting because bull for my valentine probably only had one or two albums out at that point so that would have been uh yeah around it was when, early yeah it would have been around when the poison or scream aim fire came out because that was around like 2010 ish somewhere around there and then non-point obviously was already established because they came out like the late 90s early 90s. 2000s yeah yeah and um yeah dude i couldn't fucking imagine being on stage with that's a fucking bad ass it was good all right so we finished playing mm-hmm. non-point watched the whole show literally right off stage and when we got off they hugged us and they were like that was fucking amazing and we, nice. we hung out with them the whole time yeah great honor and um and we were getting along with all the band, even though I was a dick before I went on stage. I think they kind of understood that I was getting us hyped to really just do a good show. Yeah. So they, I think they respected that. We got along with everybody and we're sitting there uh, backstage and we're eating. And I don't even know who it was because I don't know Evans Blue that well. But one of the guys from Evans Blue sat next to us, to my, my, uh, my rhythm guitarist, Justin. And he sat and he's like, wow, you guys did awesome. He's like, man, what's your name, Justin? And Justin's like, who are you and what band you're with? And the guy got so insulted, he fucking picked up his lunch tray and walked away. He didn't say a fucking word. It's like, well, oh. I guess that band doesn't like us anymore. <laughs> yeah, but see, that fucking attitude, fuck that. You know, so like the one person that reminds me, and I only met him briefly, but um, if you, I'm sure you know who Seven Dust is, but um, yes, yeah. My brother's girlfriend and I met LeJohn outside of, um, outside of the altar bar, which was a real popular venue here in Pittsburgh. And he came up to us, shook our hands. Like, I'm like, Oh, you're LeJohn. And yeah, he put his hand out, shook our hands and asked what our names were. Yes. <laughs> the, that tells you the difference. Like Evans blue. They're not huge. They're not small, but they were definitely, you know, obviously in the right position because they went on after you guys, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah, so they weren't supposed to. We were actually uh, supposed to go on right before Nonpoint. We were the co as a local band. Oh, uh, you're over, supposed to be main support. Over over yeah. Bullet for My Valentine and Evans Blue. We Holy had to turn that shit. slot down because my drummer was going on a cruise, and the only time we could do it was like middle early of the show. And uh... we, it was it, that as much as I love John and he's like my best friend, that was like a big riff for us. Cause I was all like, fuck your cruise, cancel it. What are you fucking crazy? Like what we can't, we can't take the middle spot. We can, we can literally take like right before the headliner. And we fought about it forever and he just wouldn't budge. So we, we took, we took the earlier spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely a riff for a bit. <laughs> I, I can understand why. Um, 
But yeah, like just that simple thing right there tells you a lot about somebody if he's not willing to say, oh yeah, I just play for him. Evans Blue. Like, so what you guys aren't like fans of them or don't know them. Like, that's kind of a shitty thing to do is just get up and walk away. Like, you could at least say, hey, um, once again, I'm I'm from Evans Blue. It's no big fucking deal. But, you yeah. know, they're they're on hiatus now. I really like them. But like Bullfry Valentine, that's, that's so fucking crazy. I, I feel like... um I can't speak to them, but it to me, I get the sense like those early two thousands, like more rock and just metal bands, like non point seven dust, um, pillar, some of them. I feel like all those guys from that generation were just like cool dudes. Now I don't oh. know like a lot of the metal core guys, but yeah, Lejohn Le- from Seven Dust. So I never yes. met him, but my my drummer again, go back to my drummer John John Jones drinks, what we used to call him. He moved to Georgia in the same city that LeJohn lived and was a huge Seven Dust fan. He introduced me to Seven Dust. John did. And they weren't my favorite band, but I always loved, like, LeJohn always sounded like a band when he sung. And I always respected it. He had this great man singing voice, and yeah. it just grasped you. And he met LeJohn at, he was training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He met him at his gym. And they were not best friends, but they were kind of friends. And then it was years before he saw LeJohn again. And when he saw LeJohn again after years, because he moved out of Georgia, went back to visit his family, ran into him randomly at a store. LeJohn was like, John Jones remembered his name Holy after years. Shit. That dude is like, will always have my respect, man. Listen yeah. to some Seven Dust, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and you man. know what? I, I, this might rub people the wrong way, but like, I think the two best singers out there right now are LeJohn because there's nobody that has the same passion that he does for playing. Yeah. And he's just, like you said, uh, from the brief moment that I met him and everything I've heard about him just seems like the fucking coolest in the world. He actually likes a lot of my singer stuff on Instagram. I just remembered that. Um, does he really? Yeah. Yeah. He goes on my, uh, my singer's Instagram all the time is always liking her stuff. Um, and then Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge, which I know some people don't like him, but I mean, that dude just has such a wide range and he's super talented. So um, those two, I feel like are really like the two big and best singers kind of out and about right now. Yeah, I don't, man, I, as a creator, like I barely listen to music, um, I barely listen to new metal. The 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 only new metal I've really listened to are the new Overkill albums. I don't know mm. if you know who Overkill is. Oh, of course, yeah. Them. yeah. Their last album was, I mean, and if you don't know the story of Overkill, it was a thrash band in the '80s. They sucked. Singer was terrible. Producers were telling them to stop. You're never gonna make it. You're you're not good. And they just never stopped. They ended up producing their own stuff. And then, you know, early 2000s, they started getting good. And 2019, I think they have a, a new album coming out this year. 2019 was their last album. Best album of their careers are in their 50s. And that's that was one of the issues. Uh, Pete using my song mm-hmm. and um, uh, Overkill just in their 50s producing the best music they've ever produced was the inspiration for me to get back into music after 10 years of not doing anything musically. Because mm-hmm. it's like, man, if those guys can put out their best shit in their 50s, I'm mid-30s. What am I doing? Like, yeah. I, I got to get back into it now. Because I, I I could have 20 years of good music making left in me. I could have 30, 40 years. So you never, you know. Right. Um, know. Did you did you listen to, uh, speaking of Overkill, BPMD? Uh, that one is not familiar. Uh, okay, so. BPMD? Um, is it like, is it like bo- the acronym? So it was bo- yeah, uh, Bobby Blotzer, the singer from Overkill, 
um mike no not mike mangini oh my god what the fuck is his name the drummer from dream theater um oh it was a different band like a side band yeah yeah, yeah. okay i was um, lost for a second you yeah, know no, i'm sorry <laughs> it, it was uh phil demel from machine head um bobby blotzer okay. from overkill um and the drummer from dream theater and i can't remember the bass player name but um they did a whole bunch of like 70s and 80s covers on an album so um it, it's actually really good like they did really? um oh dude it's awesome so they yeah, did uh, what's it called bpmd they did beer drinkers and hellraisers um what the fuck else did they do i can't remember all the covers that they did but it's it's pretty fucking killer and uh yeah bobby blotzer's voice is definitely like an acquired taste but uh i bobby, i got the bobby blitz it. yeah <laughs> oh my bad yeah i guess yeah, I'm that. It, but yeah no, no, it's, it's an acquired taste it's definitely like acquired it. yes yeah <laughs> but yeah they uh they put that album out in uh 2020 i think you'll really like it I, I can't remember all the covers off the top of my head but yeah check that out i think you'll really like it um ha- have you ever heard of rebel beats rebel oh dude yes. great great right i yeah. love rebel beats rebel basically the the whole pantera band minus phil and instead of phil it's david allen co yeah great great country metal music man yeah yeah, that's yeah. like uh, every time I hear I nothing to lose, I just want to like go gamble and drink a whole bottle of Crown. <laughs> yeah, nothing to lose is a good one. What else? Um, uh, uh, keep d- on keeping on. I think get, keep on keeping on is my favorite. Get out of my life. I like yeah. that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's talking to his chick. He's like, get out of my fucking life. Yeah. Great song. Oh, dude. This has been a fucking awesome chat. So we've been shooting the shit for like an hour and 45 minutes. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. And then there's some shit I want to uh, look at um, while we're off air. So um, sure. last uh, two things. Um, what does Liberty look like to you? Personal. Make it, make it personal to you. Worry about you and your family and your friends. Not, uh, I mean, and, and if you want to go local, sure. I mean, you and your family and your friends are local. So if you wanted to focus on local, I know that sounds like a small scale, but uh, I mean, if you're not convinced, man, just, just look into Tho Bishop and kind of what he makes a really good argument for it. And he's doing some really good things in a small part of Florida with not a lot of people. Um, So yeah, it's, to me, it's um, freedom for you and, and your family to live how you damn well please uh, without outside outside forces coming in and, and tell you how to do it. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean to be a bad person or live like a scumbag. Uh, you want to be a good person and set a good example for the young people and your family and, and friends and just your whole support system. I think that's, to me, that's the most important. I mean, trying to get a million people online to follow you because you have hot liberty takes, that's some empty shit. And it's, I mean, at this point, if if it's not proven empty at this point, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I can convince you. Maybe I can't, but that that's what it is to me. Nice. Uh, where can everybody find you? Uh, really Twitter and YouTube. So Twitter it's J underscore V underscore P underscore music. Um, uh, on YouTube it's J, uh, JVP music, or I, I think you could just search JVP. I think I just switched it, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, Twitter, uh, again, I'm not a, I'm not an edgelord. Uh, you, you may not see, uh, you'll see a couple hot takes from me here or there, but nothing too bad. But um, I'm on there. I'm, I'm chit-chatting. You know, I'm still somewhat in Liberty circles. You know, I've done the music for Pete, Mark, Claire, Clint from uh, Liberty Lockdown, and uh, I'm doing more music <laughs> for people in the Liberty space. Even though I'm not really in there, I don't hate you guys. We're we're, we're brothers who may be in a disagreement as far as uh, what's the best choice for you to make personally. 
Uh, that doesn't mean we can't be friends. But um, yeah, I'm still in that space. Uh, and on YouTube, um, again, JVP Music. That's where I'm. I'm trying to build that channel uh, to build a bit of a of a name for myself there. Uh, I'll probably start doing streams on there. I, I have an idea to do a stream uh, called the Iron Forge. The reason why it's called that is because uh, I kind of made a little name for myself in the Liberty Space composing music. Then I dropped out of it. So it's like, okay, everything I've been building toward, I'm I'm moving in a different direction, and I still want to be a creative and kind of got mixed into uh, some other creators that, uh, that are in this movement called the Iron Age of Media, which is basically a bunch of independent creators doing books. You know, I'm doing music. I think there's a couple other people doing music. Um, there's, uh, you know, comics, graphic novels, there's all these independent creations coming out. Um, you know, again, with independent, you're going to have quality issues here and there, but there's some really good stuff actually in there too. So instead of death scrolling through Netflix, buy a $10 book or a comic and, and maybe enjoy most of it. And then if you have some critical feedback, spend the time to send it to that creator, it's going to be much more fulfilling than watching fucking Wednesday, all eight episodes of it. <laughs> you just have an empty feeling inside when you get to the end, I promise you. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm promoting that heavily. Again, the Iron Age of Media is a lot of good creators there and a lot of good people covering it. Uh, but YouTube and Twitter, that's where I'm focused on. Uh, nowhere else. Nice, man. All right. Well, uh, we covered everything <laughs> I, I i can't think of a podcast that i've enjoyed really much more than this one uh recently we kind of like i said we really hit everything and um yeah man we'll definitely have to do it again sometime so yeah if you don't got anything else we'll close her out yeah i do actually i need to show a little bit more yeah, so <laughs> my main project <laughs> my main project is called ruthless and it's a heavy metal audio comic i produce the whole score it's all original i do everything i do the drums the bass the guitars uh i don't do the narration but I call, I call it a heavy metal audio comic because it's basically like listening to an, if you imagine an audio book, like a book and an audio book, it's that, but kind of with that colorfulness that comes with a comic. So it's shorter, like the runtime for the first episode or issue is 17 minutes. So it's not a big commitment, but there's enough there to give you some entertainment. All that 17 minutes is scored all the way through and you'll have, uh, you know, peaks and valleys of, uh, of buildups and then heavy slow parts coming in and then like literal like two minute thrash sequences with solos and all this is set to narration uh, about a post-apocalyptic story about a guy named Ash searching for his family and um, we also have art. Uh, I went out and, and pulled in an artist named Sean Stevens and he did a lot of art for me for this uh, and we're planning issue two and we're doing that. So if that sounds interesting to you, like a little 17 minute, very colorful, like audiobook with art, uh, fast paced music, solos, uh, the narration. My brother does a narration, former frontman of Metal Rain. So he's got that. I know you said you were smiling the whole way through. I'm sure a lot of that yeah, was, it was really over the cool. top. It was, yeah. it's really, it's entertaining. It's fun. It may not be uh, dead serious, but it's a lot of fun. So please check out Ruthless if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's it. I'm done chilling. Oh, you're good, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I shared it on uh, the YouTube channel, but yeah, yeah, definitely everybody listen and go check that out because um, yeah, I was grinning the whole way through. It's just really cool. The uh, soundtrack, the narration, everything about it's just really, really enjoyable from a, uh, you know, just, just sitting down and listen to it rather than listen to a podcast or like you said, some yeah. kind of show. It's a small commitment and it's just supporting a smaller creator and it's just something simple and enjoyable. So, oh yeah, man, I really, really enjoyed this. And then, yeah, if you don't got anything else that you want to show real quick or plug, um, we'll close her up. 
that's <laughs> enough. Thank you for having me on. I was looking forward to talking to you, and it, it went exactly how I, I thought it went. And uh, you're uh, for anybody who criticizes uh, Kyle in the in the Liberty space, grow a fucking se- a set of balls. Come on, be a man. This is a guy you want. This is a guy you want in your movement. All right. If he insults you a little bit, call your mommy. Call somebody who gives a shit, and then get back in the goddamn game. I like that one a lot. <laughs> that may be the clip I clip out there. All right, man. Thanks so much. All right. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.